Urban Dictionary for Valentine's Day says the 14th of February. It falls on the same day as Valentine's Day, except this one is only celebrated by five-year-olds. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Build Phase. What's going on today? Other than Valentine's Day. I'm on client work today. Yeah. My client is my Valentine. (laughs) (laughs) Just wait till my girlfriend hears this. (laughs) She's going to be disappointed. Yeah. What'd you do this week? (sighs) Auto layout. uh, Yeah, I'm kind of hitting my stride with auto layout. Yeah. Nothing super exciting. I did a uh, custom UIVU controller transition, but that's not terribly exciting. No. Did you get the, I don't know. Not really. Did you get that button issue figured out? Yeah. What was happening? Yeah, so. Can you describe <laughs> the problem? <laughs> I feel really dumb. Oh, okay. It's one of those. So it wasn't visible, right? Uh-huh. And so obviously the first thing I'm thinking is, oh, like the tint color must be screwed up on this button. It just happens to be the same color as the background. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to tap it. Right. And I'm like tapping in the region like, OK, maybe, you know, the button is here. Recursive description tells me that there's a button here and it has a frame and, you know, all this stuff like it should be working. Uh-huh. So then finally, I fixed the tint color issue. The button shows up and it wasn't working because I had, I think, missed a semicolon in the selector. Oh, like on oh. target action on the button. Oh, I see. So that doesn't that make too- sense. Shouldn't it hit like a no method error? You've been writing Ruby too much this week, by the way. No method error. I know. I can't figure it <laughs> Because the method was cancel, and I thought maybe it was hitting on some other cancel method somewhere. Oh. Because I did use the nil target trick, which is probably what screwed me. Oh. So I think it walked up the responder chain until it hit cancel some, somewhere that, yeah, and just like cancel. fired that method. Huh. So those two together made me think that I was losing my mind. Yeah. Like, not visible, doesn't work. Recursive description says it's there. How is that not crashing? It must have been finding some cancel method up the chain. Yeah. Oh, well. Problem solved. I have been writing Ruby all week, so I don't know if I have anything particularly interesting. What are you going to miss from Ruby when you go back to Objective-C? I was walking through some Ruby code with Tony and kind of realizing the weird shit that Ruby does that... It's kind of nice. Like they do things like, um, like you can do lazy initialization style patterns much, much easier in um, Ruby, right? So you call it, they, it's, they call it like memoization, right? So in Ruby, you have a conditional assignment operator. So it's pipe pipe equals. So if you do instance variable pipe pipe equals foo, it'll only set foo to instance variable if instance variable is already falsy Hmm. and then you take that right and then you just stick that in a method somewhere right so i have an instance method called at foo and i have a method called foo and all foo does is this conditional assignment of at foo right so if i just keep if i only ever call foo it does a lazy initialization this memoization thing I think in Ruby, it's mainly used to make sure that something isn't called multiple times. You know what I mean? So you would use it for like f- like disk access things, right? Like if you only need to read a file once, you can memoize the contents of that file into an instance variable. 
and then just have a simple method that calls it and then just use that method everywhere. And the first time you call that method, it'll hit the disk, read the contents of the file and stick the contents in a, for example, and then it'll stick the contents in a um, instance variable, but then subsequent times it doesn't have to go back to disk, which is super nice. How does that differ from uh, just reading something in the constructor and assigning the instance variable? Or is that just something that we prefer? Like, is it in our style guide? Like, to do memoization over... It's, it's, it's a different pattern. Like, you're kind of talking about, like, dependency injection, right? Well, no, I just mean, like, if, if this class has something internal to itself, mm-hmm. instead of overriding the getter and doing memoization, mm-hmm. why not just, like, assign that default value that you're going to do anyway in the constructor? For the same reason that we do lazy initialization stuff in Objective-C, I don't necessarily want to care about when I create this thing. That would be a form of, like, temporal coupling, right? Mm-hmm. Um so I don't really care about when this thing is created. I just want it to be created when I ask for it. Uh, I don't do, I, I rarely, unless it's as simple as literally just setting a, setting a passed in value. If it's not something that's being passed in, I use like a lazy initialization pattern for it. Right. Unless it's like init with foo and I'm setting my own property inside the init method, I'll use lazy initialization to get that value just because I like that pattern better. I don't have to think about when it's created. I just know that when I ask for it, it will be created. And then subsequent times, it'll just be there ready for me. What do you find yourself missing from Objective-C in Ruby? Categories. <laughs> um, a lot. Categories. I always describe categories to, and it's not a great explanation because they do they're different in their implementation. But I describe categories to a lot of Ruby people as like an accepted form of monkey patching, right? Uh, Monkey patching is reopening a class and redefining or adding functionality to it, right? Is that a mix-in? No, mix-ins are modules. That's a totally different thing. That's... Oh, okay, my mistake. Yeah, yeah. Mix-ins are um, essentially protocols with implementation, Interesting. Let's well, let's come back yeah. to this. Okay. So you're saying that in monkey patching in Ruby, you actually override method implementations. You, you can, yeah, very very easily. Yeah, you can override. You can open up stuff and and override like method missing or like kind of anything you want to override. You can just override stuff or add functionality to the class. Um, is there is there a way to call or to execute the original implementation of that method? Through, through metaprogramming, yeah, I think you can you can get the original implementation, save it off somewhere, and then, you know. So you can swizzle in Ruby. Yeah, they don't call it swizzling. I didn't know that either until I was having a conversation with a couple guys here, and I was like, I said the word swizzling, and they're like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> but yeah, I really miss categories as like an accepted way to do something you know what i mean like i'm dealing with third-party libraries and classes that i don't own and i would really like to kind of pull some of my boilerplate out and put it into something right and it's i'll end what i'll probably end up doing is kind of wrapping classes around stuff because that's easier because it's all duct type and whatever but um i really did miss being able to just be like you know what i think this class should have this 
property on it or should have this method on it, you know, and just being able to reopen that and, and do that. And like, I can do that with monkey patching, but I will get torn to shreds in uh, code review if I do that. So I'd rather not. But like, isn't that preferable than having some other object with a method that takes an object as an argument? Like usually in those cases, I look at it and I go, okay, this thing is just doing something with this object provided when really this behavior should just be a method on the object I provided and I can bypass this thing altogether. Yeah. What you can use is you can use the facade pattern instead. Right. So instead of, and it's way easier in Ruby because it's all duct type, but I, I can use the facade pattern. So instead of actually opening up that class, I can create a new class that wraps around that original class and then just forwards all of its stuff to the original class unless it can handle it. And then it, so it's just like a layer in between the two classes. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's, it's a better way of handle. It's a way of composing that same kind of basic concept of categories. You use composition to do the same thing. So I don't know. <laughs> I like, I do, I do like Ruby, but like I'm constantly like looking at, I have to like read source code to understand what methods do. Part of it may be this, specific libraries I'm working against aren't super awesome, but, um, having to remember what, what order arguments come in is like a drag, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I feel super spoiled saying that, but it really, it sucks to have to know that kind of a thing, you know? Yep. And to not get told about problems in that until runtime, like not having a compiler to tell me when everything's wrong. Well, I mean, that's what your tests are for, right? Right. Like when you don't have a compiler. Right, exactly. How has testing been going in Ruby? Um, good. This project that I'm working on, um, I'm working on Liftoff more, and Liftoff doesn't have any tests in it, unfortunately. And I'm not really sure how to test this stuff specifically. Plus, I'm dealing with adding functionality that I have no idea how to do, so I'm just kind of spiking on the whole thing. So I've just got like one class that I'm dumping everything into right now um, and just trying to get a working prototype. And then I figure I'll go back and try to figure out how to test it after that. I don't know enough about the architecture I'm creating to figure out what I should be testing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Liptoff's fairly unique in that way. I mean, as far as, you know, Ruby projects go. Why? Because it's why? (laughs) Because it's not just like a, you know, a typical web app or whatever. It's a, yeah. The tool for bootstrapping, Xcode projects. Yeah. CocoaPods is like that too, though, you know? CocoaPods has a really extensive, all of their libraries have really extensive test suites around them. They're not the, some of them aren't like the best tests and some of them aren't the best designed super well in some places, but they're there, you know? They're better than nothing. Has being in Ruby changed your mind about Ruby Motion? No. I don't think, I don't consider, oh, God. We're gonna, what? We're, we're gonna get email. Ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. Uh, I don't. You're gonna get email. I am gonna get email. Um, Mark at thoughtbot.com. Uh, I don't really feel like Ruby Motion is Ruby. It's Ruby-ish, uh, but it's not Ruby. Why do you say that? Well, it's because it, it's it's actually not. It's they they wrote their own interpreter that then compiles down to the Objective C runtime. So it's not like Ruby 2.0. So some of the stuff is there, but not all of it. 
And so you can use some things from Ruby, but you can't use everything from Ruby. And it's getting better. But to be perfectly honest, like my my knowledge of Ruby Motion is pretty out of date at this point. Like the last time I seriously looked into it was a while ago. But every time I've looked at it, it hasn't been an interesting enough abstraction away from Objective C, or at least the Cocoa APIs. It hasn't been interesting enough abstraction away from the Cocoa APIs to seriously consider looking at for like full-time development, especially as an Objective-C developer. And I think that's the main problem, right? Is that Ruby motion seems like it would be a great tool if you're a Ruby developer that wants to get into iOS. But if you're an iOS developer looking to get into Ruby, I don't know that it's, it's not a meaningful abstraction yet. You can do things with it that you can't do with Objective-C, but I don't know. There's something about it that's not, I don't know, deep enough. I I don't know what, I don't know how to explain it. Does that make any sense? um, um, (laughs) You can say no. (laughs) No, no, no. It makes sense, but I I don't uh, completely agree because I think that when you're familiar with the framework, like looking at how things are done and you know how it's supposed to work in objective C kind of helps you map it back. But that's, but that's my point is that you have to, you still, you're still just doing a map between the objective C and the Ruby. If it was a different way of writing iOS apps, then that would be an interesting abstraction, but it's not, it's writing cocoa with Ruby syntax, not writing iOS apps like their Ruby apps. You get what I'm saying? Does yeah. that, does that make yeah. it clear? I, I get your point now. There's some stuff out there that makes some real interesting, meaningful abstractions. And I don't remember what it's called right now, but there, there's like one gem in particular that was like another layer on top of Ruby motion. So you bring this gem in and then it gives you this kind of really, it starts to get into an interesting level of, level of abstraction where it doesn't just, you're not just defining Cocoa methods in Ruby and calling Cocoa methods in Ruby. You're doing something one step beyond that, right? You're, you're, interacting with this intermediary layer, which has its problems, obviously, you know what I mean? Like there's that, there's a whole <laughs> hypercritical episode from a couple of years ago about like why bridge languages are not super great idea. Right. But at least it's kind of an interesting look at a different way to build the apps. We're kind of treading into like well, replacing objective C <sighs> I don't know. And I, I don't, don't want to talk about that. The worst thing about recording on Friday is that all this stuff has gone down during the week. Yeah. And then by the time we get to talk about it, it's like, well, yeah, it's been, you know, hashed to death. Yeah. People say mean things on Twitter. I know. There's more Cocoa Pods hate today on Twitter. It's like, God, what the hell? That's not surprising. Just like little flashes, <laughs> like mm-hmm. every couple hours. I was thinking about creating just like a, a filter for like a tweet bot mute filter for just the word. Like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> just mute Cocoa pods from my feed. I'm just going to tweet right now. Hey guys, remember Cocoa pods sucks. <laughs> don't do that. What are you doing? <laughs> it's supposed to be tongue in cheek. It does. If you don't know, if you don't know that 90% of my tweets are tongue in cheek at, at this point, there's no uh, hope for you. You, you won't last as a follower of, of mine. <laughs> I don't know. What do you, how much exposure have you had with Ruby motion, Ruby, whatever, uh, debugging your issues in our campfire room. That's, that's the extent of my exposure to Ruby motion. Okay. So that's not an interesting topic anyway. Nope. (laughs) Oh man. 
you know, view controller transitions aren't that bad to understand. When I heard about them at WWDC and I watched the video, it like went way over my head. Yeah, because I, it yeah. tended way towards the more like abstract, like reasoning about why they architected it this way, and mm-hmm. less practical. Here's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And there have been really good tutorials. You know, Ash Furrow had a good one on the TNLAX mm-hmm. blog over mm-hmm. there. But once you get into it, it's not so bad. I, I think what's confusing is that it uses a lot of uh, protocols to, right. to right. glue things together. And that actually may be a sign that we're not good enough at like pulling out other objects if having just a couple protocols to make this thing work confuses us like yeah. at first glance. Yeah. I think we're still too used to throwing everything in the view controller. But once you get used to pulling things out, then you see that like, oh, yeah, this thing isn't so bad. It just your navigation controller is just going to ask you for an animator like when it's ready to do its thing. And you just have to give it one. And then the animator just has to implement this method that does the transition. Yeah. That's a simple case. It is an interesting almost change in their API design. It feels like a different API design, doesn't it? It feels like before that same API would have been done with subclassing, right? I sub, instead, of, instead of protocols. You mean like, so you would subclass one of the containers? Subclass one of the, the things that they've created protocols for. Oh, I see. So like they would have a protocol and a concrete implementation. Or not, implement, e- not, or like even, a not even a protocol. They just have a class that defined those methods and had Got some it. default behavior and you subclass those and override these methods, right? Like I feel like that's the kind of API that we tend to see more of rather than here's an interface to conform to and you plug this abstract class into that abstract class and all of a sudden magic happens you know i think if they only had to handle the simple case of a transition between one view controller and another view controller say like a modal Mm -hmm. you know you can just present a view controller from another one then they would have gone that route Mm -hmm. but the fact that it had to work with all of the existing containers and especially navigation controller makes it complex because you can uh, modify the transition between one view controller and the other, but you still want that nav bar functionality right. to behave in a normal way. And so I think to make it simple enough to understand to work with all their containers, they had to go with a more abstract approach. At least that's how I feel after yeah. only doing the nav transition. I like it in theory. I like I like more protocols, less subclassing. Because uh, maybe not. I was gonna say I was gonna say that protocols encourage me to build my own objects, but I guess subclassing would do the same thing. That, that would force you to build an ob, like have a discrete object. Um, yeah, but subclassing comes with baggage. You know, right, you override right. this method and you have to call super, but then super might do something that conflicts with what you're trying to do. Right. right. I mean, at and least have, when you yeah. sub, start with NS object, you're just like, well, you know, I'm yeah. greenfielding this. Yeah. So do you want to walk through the transition you were trying to do the problems that you ran into and yeah so the use case is actually pretty straightforward i think i've seen this in other apps is that i needed two view controllers in a navigation stack you know you push from one to the other slides in from the right i just needed those two to share a background yeah. so something happens in view controller a the 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 state flips and you go to like this you know colorful background view and then when you push over to the next one i want that background to persist and I don't want it to move. I just want the view controllers to move on top of it. So I probably could have subclassed UI navigation controller but I didn't. I just threw it in a container. Yeah. The container manages this background view. The view controllers you know, inside of it delegate up to like let it know that it should change. Yep. So the only problem with that would have worked great 
on iOS 6, but because the navigation controller transition changed in iOS 7, it was problematic. Because now the outgoing view controller moves about half of its width off screen to give that sort of parallax effect. Mm-hmm. And then it just stops right. and then disappears after, right. after like a split second. And normally this isn't a problem if your view controllers have opaque view right. backgrounds. But when right. you make them transparent, you get to see yeah. all the machinery of what's happening. Yeah. The first time I did that, I think I <laughs> – in retrospect, awful idea, obviously. <laughs> but at the time, I was like, I'm so clever. And I did like UI, UI view, appearance, set background color, clear, clear color. Just on UI view, everything clear color. <laughs> it was very shocking. Like when I launched my app again, and then I did one train. Like first of all, all the nav bar, every button in the nav bar was screwed. Everything was screwed. And then the second I did that transition, and I saw the two random the sub views kind of like sliding. So like the labels were like sliding over each other and wacky. I wonder if you could use that in a good way. That weird behavior. Like, do you think there's a way you could make that work for you? The clear background and that bizarre? No. Mm, no, it's pretty ugly. Yeah. So what I the, at first because I, I didn't want to go down the path of you know implementing a custom transition. So my first thought was, okay, I'll just you know override this UI navigation controller delegate method that like when the view controller is coming in and it's animated, I'm going to just animate the alpha of the outgoing view. To zero, you know. Mm-hmm. So then, at least, you know, by the time it gets to that stopping point, it's going to be invisible. And I thought it would do well enough. Right. The problem is, is that that didn't work at all. <laughs> so I think what's happening is that as soon as that transition starts, they've screenshotted that view, mm-hmm. taken a screenshot, you know, made an image out of it, thrown the image into the view hierarchy, removed that actual view, and then just animate the image left and right. And I think that's to guarantee performance, you know, with very complex views because there's a a slight like shading effect that happens on the outgoing view. Like yeah. it it dims just a bit. And so there's, you know, some complex stuff going on there. And so once I realized that they're probably doing, you know, some like screenshotting and stuff like that, I decided that I just need to do like a custom transition. Yeah. And so the way you do this is you implement this UI navigation controller delegate method that I am pulling up right now because it's very long. <laughs> And it is called Navigation Controller Animation Controller for Operation from View Controller to View Controller. That's good. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> so it gives you the nav controller. It gives you this uh, UI Navigation Controller operation, which, is, which there are three types. It's just push, pop, or none. Okay. And it gives you the from view controller and the to view controller, which is pretty typical. And all you have to do is just return an object in this method that conforms to UI view controller animated transitioning. And what's going to happen is the first time you go to transition, the nav controller will ask for this object. Mm -hmm. It will provide it with the outgoing and incoming view controllers and just call a method on it that is uh, animate transition, I believe. So the only two things you have to implement are animate transition and transition duration. And then in that animate transition, you have access to all the views, you know, the outgoing view, the incoming view, and the view that they're kind of contained in. And I just did a simple, you know, CA transition with that old push type. You know, so it basically mimics the iOS 6 behavior. View comes in, left view slides all the way out. That's interesting. User transparent. You just kept the view, view controller.view. You just made that those background colors transparent, right? And then just essentially pushed them off 
screen? Yep, exactly. That's way it, easier it, than this, I thought it would be. This, that makes total it, sense. Yeah. It's the simplest transition, you know, yeah. just from right to left. I did have to add, so this object that conforms to this protocol, I just added one property that was pushing, yes mm-hmm. or no. Mm-hmm. And then I just set that based on that operation, mm-hmm. whether it's push or pop. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see if you have more complex transitions, like if you want to do something really crazy that was really different from push when you're popping, then you'd probably want to, want to make completely different animators in that right. case. And then conditionally return the right one right. in the nav controller delegates method. But in this case, just because it's going back and forth, just like the old way, it was easy enough to just have this one bit that told me, okay, where should this view start and where does it end up? Hmm. It's really not that bad. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. That's cool. And it's really cool because like, I get to just control the transition, mm-hmm. but then all that navbar stuff still happens perfectly. You know, It's using the transition duration to determine how long that navigation item should mm-hmm. come in. You know, to the new one. It's so like all that navbar stuff still handled for you, not an issue. Cool. I should look into that. I've been really interested in specifically like the UI collection view side of that stuff since WWDC, and I just have not dug into it. Like the kind of morphing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I think they call that a uh, layout to layout transition. Mm-hmm. Right. They'll take the, the layouts of each collection view controller and animate between them. Have you looked much into that? No, I haven't had a need to, but I am interested in it. I may at one point just try to like recreate the Photos app. Mm-hmm. I, I did it when 6.0 came out. Right. I kind of like rebuilt the Photos app for a talk. Right. I might do it again for 7.0. It's very complex. I think almost every view controller is actually a collection view controller in that app. Same in, probably goes for calendar. Even the individual? I, I think so. I, yeah. I think that's, that's the only way that you can still have the image never leave the screen but have the navigation items change. Mm. I mean, I guess you could take a snapshot of the image on, like, the outgoing view controller, put that image in the window, yeah, that do seems, the transition, and then, like... That seems more complex than just having a single item collection view. Exactly, yeah. Let the layout-to-layout transition do the work for you. Hmm. What I have discovered about iOS 7 is that they really do not want you to change the tint color of bar button items really? at runtime. Oh, Yeah, they're really? basically expecting you to, like, set it. And then set it on the window and then or on the nav bar either. I mean, as yeah, like or as early as possible, mm-hmm. because there are cases where, like I said, like when the view state would flip where we're like a white background and all the text is black. Mm-hmm. And then when you switch to this thing, it's like a colored background and everything has to change to white. Mm-hmm. And so if you just try to access like a bar button item in your navigation item and change the tint color, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Hmm. So what I've been doing is making a new bar button item with all the same properties changing the tin color and reassigning it. I think it might actually just be the assigning to like right bar button item that, that triggers makes the, yeah. Cause I don't even know how those views are actually, I don't know when those views are actually created or if they're, you know what I mean? Right. Cause it's completely opaque yeah. to us and there's other crazy things. So like you can change the tint color of the back bar button item, but it won't change the Chevron. It'll just change the text. That's dumb. But then to change the Chevron, you have to change the tint color on the navigation bar. So why, why aren't the, you just changing the tint color on the window? Because yeah. that actually will not propagate down to bar button items because they're not views. It should propagate down to bar button items. So it will, but I think that the actual like coloring of the label happens when you assign the bar button item. So mm. if you already have it assigned and you just change it at the top level, a lot of your elements will change, yes. But when it comes to bar items or bar button items, they do not. 
That seems like a bug. Because they're not views, you know? So yeah. I think when they get assigned, it's like looking at that thing and then generating the proper underlying views to be in the nav bar. Hmm. That sounds it's like annoying. A, yeah, it sounds like a bug, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so I have all this logic all over the place. It's like, oh, you know, change this bar button to look like this. I'm at the point where I'm just ready to subclass UI navigation bar and give it a mode. It's like dark yeah. mode, light mode. Yeah. And it'll jump through all those hoops and like change all of its uh, nav item stuff. I'm oddly hesitant to subclass anything with like navigation somewhere in the name. Well, so, you know, subclassing UI navigation bar is fully supported now. Right. Because UI navigation controller has an, an initializer as of 5 or 6.0 right. that takes a custom nav bar class. Huh. Because people, people were swizzling previously to, to like customize huh. their nav bars. And so in 5.0, I think when the appearance proxy yeah. came out, they're like, hey, you know all that swizzling you're doing? Stop that. <laughs> and here, you can make nav bar subclasses and create navigation controllers with them. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, it also, takes a, it also takes a toolbar class. Aha, uh-huh. yes. You know, back in the day when you'd want to have like a, um, a stitched leather <laughs> nav bar, that's how you do it. Honestly, I bet, in all seriousness, I bet it's to support those stupid ta- tab bar. Con- uh, no, that'd be a tab bar, not a toolbar. Never mind. Are you talking about tab bars that have like one different button right in the middle? Yeah, I'm just rambling today apparently. It's kind of what we usually do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm normally, people seem to love it. <laughs> I'm normally better at it. <laughs> what else? I was looking at Flappy Bird's gone. That happened since last week. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. <laughs> well, that that's news now. I know. Well, I guess it was news last week. No, I just meant in general that like things like Flappy Bird's Flappy not Bird. in the App Store anymore. That's news. I know. Actually, I wanted to try this. Can you still download it from the store if you delete it off your phone? You sure? I don't think so. Uh, oh, you might be able to find it in your purchase. That's what I'm thinking. We're going to test this right now. Okay. Flappy Bird's off my phone. If I never get it back, that's okay. <laughs> Did you see all those phones on eBay? People were selling iPhones just because they had yes. Flappy Bird installed 90, for like 60 grand. 90, dude. Wait, one went for the f- 90? The first one was $90,000. Also, Who you, the hell bought that? I don't know. Also, you can download Flappy Bird again once it's deleted off your phone Mm. through the purchase tab. So he didn't actually remove it from the app store. He just removed it from sale. I see a resurgence in the uh, jailbreaking community. Thanks entirely (laughs) for Flappy Bird's removal. Do we have anything to talk about? I'm looking at you, man. I can't think of anything. Not really. I was on a roll there. View controller transitions, but now I'm out of ideas. That was good. They're fun to do. I'm going to play with them, but I can't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not thinking outside of the box enough, but I can't, like, the layout to layout stuff I'm super interested in, and I think it's great that we can override the transition for stuff like what you're talking about, like that specific issue that you ran into, but I can't see myself doing anything more than that. Like, I guess you could get kind of weird and crazy with your transitions, right? Like, instead of doing a left to right slide, you could always do like up down. You know what I mean? Like you can just change the directional of the stack. That could be kind of cool. You know what yeah, I mean? So totally. stuff just slot constantly slides in from the top or slides mm-hmm. up from the bottom. That could be cool. Or like you do it. So that like the old one slides off down while the new one slides in. That could be neat. Yeah. I think the best part about it is that you don't have to, 
like effectively almost recreate the existing container controllers to do this kind of stuff. Right. You just so handed like, a handed a thing. Yeah, an right. animator. It's, yeah. Like here's how I want these two views to switch places. Yeah. You know, previously if you wanted something that didn't take up the full screen and like still let the old view controller show behind, you'd have to add that thing as a child and then like manually right. animate it up from the bottom. Right. It, it's doable, but it's just like kind of a pain in the ass. Right. Like you're effectively re- like recreating a modal transition. So like let me just use the normal modal transition like machinery baked into UI view controller and just customize how it happens. I wonder if that can be replaced with this stuff. I, I can't do it now because I'm not on the project anymore. But my last project, we had like a button that was sitting on the bottom. So it was a button sitting on the bottom of view. And when you tap the button, the button slides. It, essentially what it does is presents a modal view controller at that point it stays at the top. So it's almost like that view should be peeking out from the bottom of the view controller. And then you tap the button and then the whole thing pops up to cover the navigation bar. So now that button is up at the top covering the navigation bar. And then you tap the button, the whole thing slides back down again. Right? So the trick there is that it slides over the navigation controller. That was like the tricky bit. So it acts like a modal, but it also, it has to be present inside the view controller because when you tap over to it, you want it, the button to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not sure that would work because you're still subjected to the fact that the incoming view controller before the transition starts is not yet in the view hierarchy. Sure. But so, if you, but if you, that's, that's fine. But so like the way, the way I think we ended up going around it now, I don't even remember what the, it was like a hacky thing where we started. Oh, you know what we did? I remember it, we presented the view controller not animated and then i think grabbed the view from there dropped the view back down so that like this all just happened instantaneously right so it's not like it showed up and then flickered away or whatever but i think the way it works is that you present the view controller modally but not animated so it just pops it just appears covering the screen and then take that view and shift it back down so that it only covers the where the button was then manually animate it back up so that it's covering the whole screen Mm -hmm. and then essentially do the reverse of that when you dismiss it right so it's still a modal view controller like the button in the main view controller that instant that initiates all this is just a button sitting at the bottom of the screen it's not a special button we just happen to style the modal view controller a button at the top of the modal view controller look exactly like, I think it's like the same class and uses whatever. Um, but so that one's just styled the same. Can you override, you can override modal transitions too though, right? Yeah, totally. So that simplifies this whole thing. Now, instead of having to do this kind of weird hacky present the thing, then hide the thing, then manually animate it up. You could just override that same transition so that it just, does that manual transition stuff, right? So just say, we're just going to start the frame here and then we're going to animate it up to the top. Yeah, it's actually a little trickier going from view controller to view controller, in my opinion. Okay. Because you have to give it a, let's see, an object that conforms to the UI view controller transition coordinator. Okay. And then I believe that this thing, that's different. I just learned that with the transition coordinator, you can also have things animate alongside with baked in transitions. Hmm. So if you want something to happen at the same duration and curve, I'll have to look into this because now I can't find how you do this from just view controller to view controller. 
I'd be interested to see if that's a lot easier because it was kind of a pain in the ass. We went through a few different implementations of that. One where the initial implementation legacy stuff, right, was that it was actually the whole view was sitting there at the bottom. So that was actually literally the same button, the one that you tap and the one that slides up. And so on tap, it would remove itself from the view controller view, add itself as a sub view of the navigation controller, animate it up to cover the navigation bar, and then do the reverse of that on the way back down. But it was like hacking with the view hierarchy, stuff like that just made me feel really horrible. You know, yeah, and so yeah. I think the second thing we ended up doing was a child view controller containment. So we wrapped the entire thing in a view controller, or uh, yeah, we wrapped the entire thing in a container view, and then the container view had some protocol stuff on it, and it also conformed to the UI navigation controller delegate stuff. So anytime it was pushing a new navigation controller or a new view controller, it asked that view controller if it should show this button is essentially what it did. And the default it was to say no to this because we had a category on UI view controller that provided some default implementation so we didn't have to define this thing everywhere. So the category was like, should show this button. The default implementation said no. If it happened to show one of these view controllers that did need that, then we just animated that view controller in. So it's still the same view controller, but now it's easier to deal with because it's a completely separate thing with its own controller. It's not like a view that's stuck inside this other view controller. Yeah, I always feel weird about putting things in a navigation controller's view just because yeah. I'm not in control of right. the well, controller right. behind it. Right. In, exactly. in, that, in that case, prior to iOS 7 or really view controller containment, I think the best way, the safest way, is to probably just float the view up to the window for whatever needs yeah. to happen, and then put it back down into its view somehow. I ran across a small library a long time ago, and I haven't found it since. But it essentially provided this kind of functionality to like float. And I think the method was like float view. And you would just call it on a view, and it would take it out of where it is, put it in the window in the exact same place. Hmm. So then you can like do something with your controllers behind it, mm-hmm. and then put it back down. And That's interesting. So a good example of this would have been the way that you used to share photos into an email. Remember, the photo would grow, the photo controller would drop, the mail composer would come up, right. and then the photo would <laughs> fall back down into the body area. What happens now? That's a good question. But I'm pretty sure that they were u- taking advantage of the window for that. Hmm. That's interesting. Holy crap. I made a terrible joke this morning on Twitter that was just completely throwaway, and it's like the most faves I've ever gotten. <laughs> what was the joke? Somebody had mentioned that when they worked at when they worked in a restaurant that they had somehow set phyllo dough on fire, and I just said that that's because it's flammable. <laughs> and she retweeted it, and this is like now my most fave tweet. I feel like an idiot. Like why do I try so hard all the time? I can just say flammable. Jesus. I think my fave, my most fave tweet is still that. Do we talk about this? I have. I made a joke. It's like drunk at a bar after Coco Heads. And I even think I stole the joke from someone. I don't even think I thought this. <laughs> but I did like hash define yes, thumbs up emoji, hash define no, thumbs down emoji. <laughs> I still think that's an awesome idea, but the compiler totally blows up. I should file a radar on that. That'd be a good radar to file. What the hell is the website that shows a fave star? Fave star, duh. 
You can, did you know that you can also just double click the profile button in the sidebar of Tweetbot and it'll take you straight to Favestar? No. You, that works on the iOS app too. I don't use Tweetbot on iOS. <laughs> what do you think you're double better click? than me? Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm really excited because uh, Merlin Mann faved it. Oh, what? It's a terrible joke. <laughs> yeah. What's up? Nice. By the way, the photo sharing on iOS 7, nothing special. No, just yeah. The, ma- I, the mail composer I, just comes up. I did with that. The photo I did see the, I do like the picker thing that they add to the very top of the share action sheet, though. Did you see that thing? That thing's that cool. That is cool. Yeah. That's very cool. I want to know what they're doing there. Are they just taking advantage of what's behind it or are they adding that to the. No, it looks seamless. I think that they're using some private API and taking advantage that's really, of it. Uh, that's really cool. I wish we could do that. Wait, actually, I can't get it to. How do you get into that state? Click share. Oh, you have to like be looking at a single photo first, single then photo. hit share. Yeah. If you do like the okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, because then you can just select the things around it. It's, oh, maybe it's it, sweet. Maybe they are just taking advantage of the space up there. I don't think so because you have the the whole thing. It's not in a. It's not in an action sheet. It's in a view controller. Well, right, but that's like the share sheet. No, the share sheet's an action sheet. Where if you click outside of the action sheet, it dismisses. Are we looking at the same thing? Possibly not. I'm talking about the one that has like AirDrop and then all the apps. Me too. That's not an action sheet. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that it. They're just using the available space in their view controller once that thing has appeared. But I don't know how you would determine that without private API. Like, how would you make that work on an iPhone five and an iPhone four? I don't. I don't think they are using the action sheet at all. I think they're using the view from the share sheet and embedding it in their own view controller. So effectively private API. Yeah. There's other cool details. Like when you select a second photo in that scroll thing, some of the options disappear. Like Twitter goes away because you can't share two photos at once. That's pretty rad. And assigned contact goes away. Wallpaper goes away. Cool. We're just sitting here. We're just playing with iOS. It doesn't look super awesome if you scroll like scroll all the way to the right of one of those and then oh well that one's not that bad but like the bottom one the whole copy slideshow airplay thing slide all the way to the right and then select a second one and like they disappear nicely and then it bounces back to the beginning. Oh yeah. <laughs> this is such a shitty podcast right now. <laughs> Let's If you're still with us. I know. <laughs> most hardcore of fans yeah, you're the best we should make some t-shirts and then like at the end of really bad podcasts like we'll drop a code word <laughs> and then you have to use that code word to get a shirt to make that's a good idea whole thing yeah where do i commission a shirt i don't know we should stop doing this though <laughs> i think that's the best course of action right now Let's wrap um, this up. okay before we put someone to sleep and they cause a horrible accident and put myself to sleep with this show notes for this episode will be available at podcasts.thoughtbot.com slash build phase slash 27 we'd love to hear from you guys so uh, if you have any questions comments feedback uh, let us know on app.net or twitter at build phase or you can email us at build phase at thoughtbot.com and as always ratings and reviews on itunes are highly appreciated all right Good. All right, let's get, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, see you later. <laughs> Bye.